0: Can Jalen Hurts turn around the Eagles? Jonathan Taylor has righted the ship and it's wheels up for Cam Akers. We're talking all that and more on Roto-Viz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz, joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the action network, Matt Friedman, who who may have made a noise there that kind of distracted me on the bring in, Matt. I should probably also say that uh, we are brought to you by Indeed Pepsi and Bet Online. Is everything going okay over there?
1: Yeah, I was moving a piece of paper around. I'm one of the uh, antiquated people who still uses papers, like still uh, like writes down uh, like to do lists and stuff on uh, actual pieces of paper instead of uh, doing it on a computer. So I was moving around my piece of paper and I moved it in front of the microphone. So uh, that's what was happening.
0: Got it. Well, I'm going to ask that uh, going forward, all paper movement waits until like we're at least up and into the episode. (laughs) <laughs> okay. We're moving forward. I will uh, right. I will cease to move papers. I appreciate that. So we're off to a good start here. Um as always Matt and I are recording this on a Monday evening, so we will not be commenting on what looks like it could be a pretty good Monday night game. Uh before we start though, you just heard the one of the trailers for American Prodigy. Uh, I just wanted to say that uh I listened, started listening to it last week and in like one sitting went through the first four episodes. It's actually like really really intriguing. Um, And definitely worth checking out. Um, If you're entirely unaware of Freddie Adu, um, you know, 14-year-old soccer prodigy getting huge deals like from Nike and stuff offered to him, clubs all around the world, um, you know, when he was 14. So it's a really compelling story. Anyway, Matt, I believe that in just about every fantasy league out there, the playoffs are at least going to be officially starting if they haven't already started. It's crazy that we've made it to... This point, uh, unfortunately, it looks like we could have some injuries that might uh, impact teams as we close out here. Let's start. Matthew Stafford could be out uh, moving ahead. Um, An injury with the ribs and thumb. It's unclear if he's going to play. Chase Daniel would be the backup. Naturally, one has to assume that this would not be good for the offensive players in Detroit.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, naturally that's what one would assume. Uh, I don't know if there's really much to say, uh, about this. We don't, you know, we don't really know anything. Uh, in theory, it's a good matchup against, uh, Tennessee. So, you know, maybe if you have some of the, uh, the guys on Detroit, you would still kind of be tempted, but without Stafford there, I think it's probably a stay away situation.
0: Yep. Alex Smith suffered a mild calf strain. looks like he could play uh, Dwayne Haskins though, would just be coming back into the fold for Washington. So we've kind of gotten a sense of what that might look like. I think, you know, more or less, you're still going to be locked in with Terry McLaurin. As far as the other players go, I'm not sure that they were going to be a lot of, on a lot of the rosters at this point. Anyways, we did see cam Sims two weeks ago, though, have a pretty good game.
1: If you have Logan Thomas,
0: I mean, oh, he's right. Been-
1: yep. He's been viable, but, uh, you know, inconsistent, um, Terry McLaurin, Yeah. Going against Seattle, Seattle's defense has tightened up a little bit over the past month or so, but he still has a really good matchup going against, uh, primarily DJ, uh, DJ Reed at corner. So that's, you know, like an a plus matchup for him, but, uh, you know, it's just hard to know what's going on with the quarterback situation.
0: Right. Um, all right. We're gonna have to talk about the, the Miami dolphins here for a little bit. So you have Mike Kosicki. Who caught five receptions, put up 65 yards in two touchdowns, suffered a shoulder injury. It's not exactly clear what his health is going to look like going forward, but Jakeem Grant could miss time as well as Devontae Parker. So this has to make some runway, if you will, for uh, Lynn Bowden Jr., who caught seven of nine targets, had 82 yards. Matt Collins also caught five of six targets for 50. Or excuse me for sixty six yards. Tua had a decent game, but um, you know, I guess it 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 begs the question, Matt. Do we trust somebody like Bowden or Collins next week? I don't think so. I mean,
1: Bowden. Um, yes, or Bowden. Bowden I, yeah, I still yeah. don't know how to. I still don't know how to say his name. I, I, think, I think it's I actually Bowden. Say...
0: It's Bowden. I actually just yeah. said it both ways there, so maybe I was subconsciously covering my bases.
1: Well, I think I normally say Bowden,
0: um, but I think I'm
1: normally wrong there, but uh, I I think that's how his name should be pronounced, even though that's probably not how he pronounces it. So that's just uh, what I impose. Um, But uh, he, he has some viability just because uh, I'm imagining that, his usage from last week is something that's kind of projectable. And he, he looks like in the absence of Jakeem grant and Devonte Parker, he looks like the best wide receiver on the team uh, already. Um, and, you know, he has like a little bit of viability as someone who might get a, a carry or two during the game. Uh, so yeah, like he's, like a desperation, you know, kind of wide receiver, three flex type of player. Uh, no one else on that team, though, I think I would really want to touch unless we see, um, you know, Miles Miles Gaskin come back, potentially. Um, DeAndre Washington, not too enamored with him uh, and, you know, his performance last week. So I, I think it's pretty much Bowden and Gaskin potentially if he returns, but that's pretty much it.
0: Yeah, so unfortunately too for people that started Parker, um, he went out in the first half and put up a zero spot, uh, which is not something you're gonna be thrilled out or thrilled about in the playoffs. Debo Samuel. Now I have not seen an update on this in a couple of hours, but he did put out kind of a cryptic tweet after the 49ers game, and it looks like if you read between the lines in it it could be he could be out for the season. At the very least, his health is in question. Not good if you're a Samuel owner. We've seen Brandon Ayuk kind of step up. Any other players in the offense that you think can fill the void for the team if Samuel indeed cannot finish things out?
1: Mm, no, I mean it's it's pretty much I think Ayuk, who has just been an absolute monster uh if you look at what he's done over the past uh 5 games in which he's been active uh remember he he missed some games because of the covid situation but uh i mean he's just been tearing it up uh if you go back to week 7 115 yards week 8 91 yards and a touchdown week 10 14 targets 75 yards and a touchdown uh, week 13, 95 yards and a touchdown, and then last week, sixteen yard, or sixteen targets, one hundred and nineteen yards. I mean, he's he's just been he's been getting fed and he's been producing. And this upcoming week, he's going against a Dallas defense that looks like it will be without Trayvon Diggs, uh, who's on IR, uh, Chinobe Awuzie, who is on the COVID nineteen list. So maybe he will be returning. Not sure there. Uh, and then Anthony Brown who might be out uh, with a rib injury. Uh, and so all three of those guys were out last week. If they are all out again this week, you would have on the perimeter, the Cowboys starting to, you know, second and third stringers uh, going against Ayuk. I mean, absolutely beautiful matchup uh, if the injury situation holds. So uh, that is
0: definitely something to monitor because he could just tear up the Cowboys. Yep. Kendrick Bourne, uh, I will point out, did see three receptions, seven targets, um, 88 air yards in the team's week 14 game. I'm assuming, though, that the people listening at this point are in the playoffs, and I doubt that Kendrick Bourne is going to be the type of player they would be inserting into into their lineup. God help
1: you if you do need Kendrick Bourne.
0: See, Jordan Reed, though, I actually could see, I, I think it could be possible that teams might be thinking about Jordan Reed at the tight end position. Um, my read on this, so two tar or two recs, five targets in week 14, um, in weeks 13 and 14 combined, we do see one touchdown for him on nine targets, five recs, 45 yards. That touchdown's probably making him look a lot better <laughs> than he otherwise would, obviously. Um, so probably you're only going his way. I think if you're in dire straits, you're probably not looking to force him into your lineups. Yeah, I would imagine so. Yep. All right, so I think that actually gets the injuries out of the way, um, unless anything came up that you saw, Matt, that you think we need to mention. No,
1: I think fortunately there weren't uh, too many injuries. Uh, Mike Williams uh, exited uh, last week near the very beginning of the game with a back injury, You know, so it feels like he gets injured every third game. Who knows what his situation is, but uh, that's also one to keep an eye on.
0: Yep. Unfortunately... Um, As somebody that has DJ Moore on a lot of teams, he was not able to uh, participate for me in the first round of the fantasy playoffs, but he is expected to play in week 15. So glimmer of hope for some teams there. But let's get into some of the topics I mentioned uh, in the intro to the show. Jalen Hurts comes in for Philadelphia, puts up 167 yards, passes for a touchdown and added 106 on the ground. Only completed 57% of passes, went 17 for 30. Wentz was normally throwing more like 40 passes a game. Nonetheless though, Matt, this team picked up a win and we also saw Miles Sanders rush for 115 yards, two rushing touchdowns, and he got targeted five times. His highest total of the season only turned two of those into receptions for 21 yards. I imagine if you're an Eagles fan, you are encouraged by this game. Give me some quick thoughts here on what you think this means for the Eagles moving forward just as a football team in the rest of the season, and if you think that Hurts and Sanders are now players that we can kind of trust in fantasy. I think they are.
1: Um, I, I think Hurts, what he did felt very...
0: Uh, you know, second half of the season, rookie year, 2018 Lamar Jackson. I mean, if, even uh, if you look at the the stat line and the yeah. box score for this team, it lines up a lot with a Ravens type of type of offense, yeah, right? Yeah, so exactly. Yeah.
1: Except he, he, threw a little bit more to the running backs, you mm. know, uh, that's something you probably wouldn't see out of, uh, a Lamar Jackson offense, but, uh, you know, so who knows if that actually is something that, uh, you know, translates uh year to, uh, year, to year or game to game, but, um, I think Hertz as long as he doesn't totally bomb will continue to be the starter. And I mean, I don't know, like he's, I I think he's the guy next year. I think Carson Wentz is is pretty much done um, one way or another, uh, whether they, they cut him, they trade him, or maybe they just bench him um, because he has looked really bad. And as long as Hertz finishes at even just a little bit below average, that would still be an improvement on what Carson Wentz has done this year. Uh and of course he has all of the the rushing upside. So from a fantasy perspective, yeah, definitely Hertz is someone that is, I think, streamable at worst. And maybe, you know, like an actual low end QB one because of that uh that rushing floor he gives. And then Miles Sanders, um, yeah, he's always someone that you I mean, I think you almost have to have him in your lineups. Even when he's playing poorly, he's still getting enough touches to where he sort of demands being included in your lineup, unless you're just totally stacked.
0: Right. Um, Boston Scott, you're probably not thinking about playing at this point, but what about any of the receivers? I mean, I feel like with what we saw in that that game, right? You can't be trotting any of them out. But what about Dallas Goddard then?
1: No, I, I still I don't trust anyone in the receiving game, Okay, which is which is sad because uh, it's a totally one dimensional offense that's predicated on the run, um, you know, and it means that Hertz has a lot of value and Sanders has value, but no one in the receiving game has value.
0: All right, that's very fair, and I'm not going to push back on any of that. We have some good news to report, Matt. Jonathan Taylor registers another really solid performance, um, finishing as a RB1 again. I recognize that, that, especially that one really long run that he had, there was an enormous hole. It was a gaping hole, but he still got to show off the 439 speed. If he's taking advantages of the holes, that's all that I'm asking for. In the Colts game against the Raiders, he had 10 runs of more then 10 yards, broke nine tackles, 150 rushing yards, and two touchdowns, went two of two on receptions. Things are starting to come together for Jonathan Taylor. It's been odd how he arrived to his point accumulation, right? Um, I think we all thought things would start going earlier on, but I think that at this point, Taylor has really started to recover a lot of the ground that it seemed like he had lost uh, You know, after maybe week five.
1: Yeah. He's going to end up with like 1400 scrimmage yards and 10 touchdowns. And people are still going to look back and be like, Oh yeah, he didn't do all that well as a rookie, which is just going to be really weird. But, uh, you know, week 15, he's going against Houston. Fantastic matchup for him. One of the best running back matchups in the league, tough matchup in week 16, but then in week 17, which doesn't count, uh, for fantasy, but you know, like people will still kind of Pile it into the season long statistics and week 17, he goes against Jacksonville, which is another fantastic matchup. So, uh, I think, you know, when it's all done with, he's going to have numbers that actually look pretty good.
0: Yeah. And I don't know if I mentioned this either too, but, um, no, I think I did say he broke nine tackles as well, which, you know, maybe something you can't read too much into, but nonetheless, just a super encouraging performance. Um, so a lot to like there for Taylor, Cam Akers, another rookie running back that we had hyped up a lot, hadn't had things come together. The Rams crush the Patriots, and Akers had twenty nine rushes from one hundred and seventy one yards. How ecstatic were you when this uh, happened?
1: Uh, I mean, it was it was
0: nice. Like I wasn't super ecstatic because
1: I don't really get all that ecstatic about anything, but it was awesome to see. And so we have Akers uh, in Week 12, 84 yards. Week 13 had 21 carries for 72 yards and a touchdown. And then, of course, the explosion last week. Uh, and what was, I think, particularly good about his performance in week 14 was that he had a season high three targets, which like doesn't sound like much. And like in the grand scheme of things, it's not. But it's a step in the right direction. You know, like they were including him. In the receiving game, and he looked decent. You know, he he turned his three targets into two receptions, twenty-three yards. Uh, that's on the heels of him turning the week before his one target into twenty-two yards. He's not a non-entity in the receiving game. Uh, I think he could actually be, you know, let's say like a league-average receiver as a back. Uh, and if that's the case, and you can pile that on top of the clear number one role that he has now as the lead runner on that team. uh, That's worth something like that. I think that means he's pretty much an RB one. If you put all that together Um, and I don't know, we, we need to uh, I think go back and listen to the audio in terms of the bet that we have with fantasy mansion Uh, Mm -hmm. something about a shirtless podcast. I don't remember the details, but we might get pretty close to a situation where we have to go back and listen to the audio to see who ends up actually like, what are the terms of this? Was it PPR? Was it half PPR? Was it per game or was it a uh, total production for the season? All of these things, because you might have a situation where Cam Akers actually does outproduce for the season. DeAndre Swift, if he can keep this up.
0: Yeah, so before I forget, I have to correct myself with with one note here. Jonathan Taylor against the Raiders had six rushes of 10 or more. Uh, but back to the Swift and Akers debate, um, I think just the larger takeaway, regardless of the exact specifics of the bet, is that I would say both players have had Swift might have had the better season overall, but as we head into 2021, they might be on similar footing. And it's possible that we actually see acres going higher in drafts because people will have, and some of this is assuming that he carries this forward, but with the amount of volume he's getting, I it seems very likely to me, I think it's possible. We see acres actually getting drafted higher than Swift. Um, we will go back and check that out though. Um, um, I do believe that the episode ended up getting called Cam Akers Toilet Bull Turd. Um, probably unnecessary though, right? Um, so hopefully uh, Akers can really just smash things on Mansion as uh, we move towards the end of the season. Matt, I want to talk to you quickly about Derrick Henry's splits. If anybody has been on Twitter, they have likely heard talk about how ridiculous Derrick Henry is towards the end of the season in specific December. Um, but if you go to Rotovis and you pull up the Game Splits app and you look at weeks 13 on over the course of Henry's career, 16 games in the split, 58 out in the split, almost 17 PPR, 12.7 out of the split. An interesting thing, Matt. In my mind, before I looked at this, I was kind of theorizing that maybe we just see an increase in attempts because of the way the Titans operate as the season goes on. In the split, 15.38 to 14.7 out of the split. Rushing touchdowns, though, do take a substantial increase, which largely explains the variance in the split. So touchdowns go to 1.06 in weeks 13 through 16 versus 0.6 out of the split and then rushing yards go from 67 to around 89 in the split. Do you actually believe in this? Or is this just something that we're seeing as a result of a small sample?
1: I don't know. I mean, I, I'm asking I you an impossible do. question here, but you know, I I kind of do believe in it because if you, uh, if you look at, uh, I don't know, like yards per attempt or different efficiency metrics. Like he, he does become more efficient as the season progresses. And so maybe... Part of that is, I don't know, just like him getting into the flow of the season. Maybe part of it is that uh, in the second half of the season, he's going against defenses that are a little more banged up and, uh, you know, have more injuries. And so guys aren't in position to, uh, to make tackles or whatever. Uh, also, maybe part of it is that um, the historically the AFC South hasn't really been all that good at run defense, you know, like uh, th- I just think of like the Texans or uh, the Jags for the past couple of years. And um, it happens that uh, the NFL schedule will sometimes in December uh, or like the last six weeks of the season kind of backload uh, so that they can have some like divisional drama. Uh, and so, you know, some of it is that I think Henry has had some easier matchups in the last four to six weeks of the season. Um, but I don't know. I also think that there just might be something where it's like Derek Henry is just bigger and stronger than everyone else. And uh, at the end of the season, when everyone else is worn down Derrick Henry is just still exactly the same, like a Terminator. Uh, (laughs) And so everyone is just moving a little bit slower and he is still just doing his Derrick Henry stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't really have much of an opinion because I haven't really gone in and tried to decipher things or make sense of this because I don't really think that there's much fruit of that labor to extract. Um, but It probably is a confluence of external factors, things that are outside of his control, and then maybe some of it is him. Nonetheless, I mean, it is pretty interesting. It is pretty compelling to talk about. Uh, But on the flip side of a player that you might associate with just dominating, Drew Locke with his best game of the season, probably 280 yards, four touchdowns. Two of them went to KJ Hamler. Interestingly, though, only three targets for Hamler. It was another cold game for Jerry Judy, with the exception of the fact that he gifted Mike Davis with a touchdown after he tracked down um, an interception and made a tackle. I think it was within the 10. And then, you know, a couple plays later, Mike Davis punched in a touchdown. Let's talk about this, though. Drew Locke, things have been up and down for him. It doesn't really seem like the answer for Denver. Big game for Hamler. Cold game for Judy. The ultimate thing that I'm driving at here is I still don't think I'm playing or trusting any of these Broncos down the stretch. Yeah, I
1: I think that's accurate. Um, You know, the one guy who would maybe draw some consideration outside of Judy, but I I think it's kind of hard to go with Judy. Um, Some people might look at Tim Patrick uh, as someone you could go with um, because you know, since he returned in week nine, he's had six games and remember one of them was the uh, Kendall Hinton game. So that kind of doesn't count, but he's um, he's outproduced Jerry Judy in the six games since he's returned. He's had four touchdowns in six games. Um, but the thing is, you know, he has a tough matchup. I, I think he's probably going to see Tredavious White in this game. Uh, and so given the matchup and then, you know, he still has only 289 yards, uh, in the past six games, uh, given all of that, I think probably stay away from him. You know, like you can maybe look at some of the the running backs uh, and say, okay, they're going against a Buffalo defense that is, I believe, number thirty-two in PFF run defense grade. So a potentially good spot there for Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay. But uh, any of the receiving options, I think, are guys probably to stay away from. Yep. Which Although is, I, sh- I, sh- yep. I should say though, KJ Hamler. Uh, I I don't think you can play him uh, this week. Uh, You know, like you haven't been playing him at all uh, in in season long leagues. Um, But for the future, he's someone who is intriguing. Um, I don't know. He feels as if he might have, it's too optimistic to say like T.Y. Hilton type of potential, but um, I don't know. He feels like that kind of player. Uh, And so maybe in a best case scenario, he does develop into
0: Hilton. And so it's nice to see him have a game like this as a rookie. Sure. And and some of that will be dependent on, on Denver using him correctly. And the encouraging thing is the air yards per target have been very high over the last couple of games. Five targets in week 13 had 13.6 air yards per target. And then just the three um, in, in week 14, but 30 yards per target earlier in the season, we'd had games where there was at like seven, 3.3, 7.5, eight for him to turn it into a guy like Hilton. Uh, I think, you know, a couple of things need to happen, but it doesn't seem like it's out of the range of possibilities with Hamler. And I hope that they do use him like that. Cause I, I do think he's a pretty good player. Uh, so a good game for drew lock Tua 28 of 48 for 316 yards, two passing touchdowns added one as a rusher. Now, we already talked about the receivers and if we were trusting them, if we were playing them. Tua, I think, maybe is somebody that teams might be thinking about streaming. Um, we saw what he did against the Chiefs. Looking forward to the rest of the season. Is Tua a type of guy that you would be interested in if you needed to stream a quarterback for your playoff fantasy team?
1: Probably not um, because he's still a rookie and I just imagine there have to be better options out there uh, in week 16. He's going against the Raiders and that's a really good matchup, but like, are you really going to go with Tua in championship week? Uh, and then week 15 uh, going against the Patriots. And although I would say like the Patriots feel broken, Um, We just saw what they did to a rookie quarterback in Justin Herbert two weeks ago where they totally shut him out. I still think Bill Belichick is capable of coming up with a defensive game plan to, uh, if not totally shut down to minimize what he can do. So, uh, I mean... It's nice to see Tua have a game like this and
0: what it might mean for his future, but I don't think you can touch him in the playoffs. No, you you can't because also we talked about the fact that a lot of these weapons might not be available and that might be in the backfield as well as tight end and wide receiver core. And then also this one rushing touchdown is lifting things up when, I mean, he did rush six times for 24 yards, um, against the chiefs. But, you know, he we haven't seen too much running from him besides 35 yards and seven attempts against Arizona. But he hasn't really shown us that there is some real level of built in floor with him as a rusher. So let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and uh, we will be right back. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical and Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria, and you can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. are visiting Indeed each month, according to ComScore's total visits, so it's clear indeed can help get you the quality hire you need that's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use indeed for hiring right now indeed is offering our listeners a free 75 dollars credit to boost your job post which means more quality candidates will see it fast try indeed out with a free 75 dollars credit Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how much you watch. Because right now, an ice-cold Pepsi may just be the best part about watching the Jets. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching.
1: Hello folks, Colin Kelly here from Rotoviz Overtime, a podcast I host along with Sean Siegel. And in just a little moment, we'll jump straight into the podcast. Before we do so, I want to let you know as a loyal podcast listener, you can save yourself 10% of a Rotoviz NFL pass right now on the Rotoviz.com website. It gives you access to all of our content and tools. All you have to do is add the code 2020RVRadio at checkout or by going to roadoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. And of course, while you're listening to the podcast on the network, helps us out a lot if you can write and review on your favorite podcast app. I really do appreciate that. As I mentioned at the start, His Overtime with Sean Siegel twice a week. If you haven't already checked it out, be sure to do so after this
0: show. But let's get straight into it. Enjoy the podcast. So Marquez Valdez-Scantling put up 20.5 points against Detroit. Alan Lazard has been quiet since returning, just 7 PPR points per game since week 11, In that time, though, Matt, Robert Tunyon Jr., 15.4 PPR points per game, a tight end one finish in every week in that stretch. It looks like he might be the second option that people had been waiting to emerge in Green Bay. Do you agree?
1: Yeah, he's uh, he's totally legit. Um, A touchdown in each of the past four weeks now, touchdowns can be fairly fluky. But in each of the past four weeks, he's had five targets. Uh, and it's not as if that's a massive number of targets, but at the tight end position, that's that's good enough. Um, I mean, one, it just kind of speaks to how, how naked the tight end position has been this year. But um, yeah, he's, he's actually getting it done. And I believe with his nine touchdowns, um, he has more touchdowns than uh, – I think almost any other tight end in like Packers history, or like something pretty close to that. Um, So I mean, it looks like Aaron Rodgers finally kind of has a tight end that uh, he actually likes. So it's a it's a big development for him, and you know, for people who got Tunyon off of waivers, I mean, he does have potential league winning upside.
0: Yeah, it's wild, but uh, it's really cool to have a tight end emerging because it is such a sparse position. Uh, It's been consistent enough. I'm willing to buy it. Let's turn our attention though to Aaron Rodgers, who's had by all accounts, a really strong season. There's a lot of people, Matt, that want to toss him into the MVP conversation, ranks third in adjusting completion percentage. Team is winning Are you buying that there's a substantial case for Aaron Rodgers as MVP? Have you put in any tickets?
1: I haven't put in any tickets, but I I feel like it's because it's too late. Um, But I do think that there's a a pretty decent case to be made. Uh, Actually, he has 9.6 adjusted yards per attempt. That's more than Mahomes at 9.3. You look at the number of touchdowns. He has more touchdowns than Mahomes fewer interceptions than Mahome's not as many passing yards um, but you know when you look at it on a per attempt basis uh, he's right there uh, and the 9.6 uh, adjusted yards per attempt he has this year that is very competitive with the marks that he had uh, in 2014 uh, when he had 9.5 and in 2011 when he had, I believe 9.2, Oh no, 10.5. Yeah. I mean, 10.5, but he just crushed everyone that year, but he's in line with what he did in 2014. Um, so I, you know, like him on his own in a vacuum, he's a very good MVP candidate, especially considering that now the Packers have, uh, the tiebreaker for the number one seed in the NFC. And, um, you know, historically, that has been something that has given uh, any MVP candidate a real shot at winning uh, to be the number one seed or to have a a buy for the first round. Uh, so I don't know if if they're look at it this way, Mahomes could have another bad week going against the Saints. Like he could have another two interception game. The Saints have been playing very well over the past couple of months on defense. Uh, if that happens, and if Rodgers has another three pretty big games to close out the year, and they're the number one seed, um, I mean, it's much closer to 50-50 that he would win the MVP than I think people would want to acknowledge.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, there's a couple things going for him. There's the historical background. There's the fact that he plays on one of those nationally recognized teams like green bay and it sets up nicely potentially for uh you know that super bowl run that i think uh, a lot of you know those in the media would like to see so there's definitely compelling yep go ahead sorry here's here's
1: one more thing uh I mean, I've contended for a long time and honestly, like it's a mistake. I should have, I should have bet on Rodgers earlier. Maybe I still will look at the numbers, shop around, try to find the best line to bet on him. But uh, the MVP is a largely narrative driven award. Yep. Uh, like if a guy checks enough of the boxes, what, sip, what separates him, I think at that point is the narrative. And Rodgers has a hell of a narrative with the team using the number one pick on his his backup the guy who might replace him and instead of Rodgers like going into a hole and imploding using that to destroy all 31 other teams uh, i mean that's that's an amazing narrative especially like in the greatest well i mean this is too early to say it. this is like the greatest rookie wide receiver class of all time but in a class that clearly was strong at receiver, the team's, uh, dismissal of the position entirely in the draft, not even addressing it in the draft. And like, in fact, going in the exact opposite direction and drafting three guys with their first three picks, not one of whom can contribute at all in the passing game and not one of whom has actually done anything at all this year. Uh, and for him still to be this productive, uh, I mean, I feel like that's something that in the final weeks of the season, uh, like old school football writers could really sink their teeth into.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think that they're going to absolutely love that story. And it's also going to start this narrative, I think, of like... Aaron Rodgers part two, you know, he's turned his career around and we're entering this new Aaron Rodgers era. And then there's probably the story of him and Devonte Adams and how in sync they are and how they're doing all of these ridiculous things. So I definitely buy it. What is crazy to think about though, is imagine if they had added, um, CeeDee lamb or Justin Jefferson or any number of no. these receivers alongside Adams.
1: Oh, no, Justin Jefferson, you know, like Brandon Ayuk. Anyone like, you know, you could have had your choice of, uh, I mean, like Chase Claypool, you know, like they could have had their choice of, you know, not like the guys at the very top of the draft, but anyone outside of the top three uh, receivers, they could have gotten one of those guys
0: and, you know, just totally decided not to. It's, it's very embarrassing. All right. Um, Probably enough, uh, not enough talk on that front. So Out of Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, and Scotty Miller, they have produced just five wide receiver one weeks, and Mike Evans has been a wide receiver three, five out of his last eight games, just one wide receiver one performance in there. I want your high level evaluation of how much of a bust this Tampa Bay wide receiver core was in relation to what perhaps the general public was expecting. But more importantly, are we playing Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin in the playoffs? What do you think? I think,
1: I mean, obviously all of these guys are bust relative to expectations. Um, but yeah, I think you absolutely have to play Evans, and Godwin in the playoffs, not Brown. I wouldn't, I would not touch Antonio Brown because he just has not looked the same. Uh, And now he's not really getting the volume that he was getting his first few weeks, but going against Atlanta in week 15 and Detroit in week 16, it really does not get much better than that uh, from a wide receiver and passing game matchup. So uh, I wouldn't say I love Evans this week, but he certainly has the matchup for it. And if you have him, uh, I don't know. He's probably flexible. You know, like you, you probably don't have like three or four wide receivers who are all better than him. So um, if you have him and you're somehow in the playoffs, uh, yeah, I think you start him. Like, by the way, he has touchdowns in what is it? Like eight of 12 games, eight of 13 games, nine of 13 games. That's, that's pretty decent. You know, he's still like one of the league leaders in touchdowns and going against Atlanta. He certainly has a chance to get touchdowns and also yards.
0: Fair enough. All right. I want to turn our attention now and look at uh, a couple of questions, Matt, that are more long-term in nature. Uh, The first player that I want to talk about is Russell Gage. So Russell Gage on the season, 604 receiving yards, 11.2 yards per reception, um, 7.2 yards per target, only has two touchdowns, but has drawn 671 air yards and 1.6 PPR points per opportunity. We have seen him fill in for Julio Jones a couple of times. When doing so, seems to play pretty well, um, has gone over 10 points. Uh, what is that? Two, four, six, seven times. I mean, I think a pretty good year for him overall. If we're looking forward at Gage's career, and let's just say that he's in the context of the, of this Atlanta offense, let's say it was Calvin Ridley and Russell Gage, how interesting of a player would he be in some of this exercise is to try to get a sense of, of where we should be valuing Gage in Dynasty? Um.
1: Okay, so I'm going to sort of show some of my bias here, but like yep. I don't think he's interesting at all. Okay. Um, like he had a good year for him, but I don't think he's really had all that good of a year. And this feels like this might end up being the best year of his career. Um, but I don't know, like, does he feel like a thousand yard receiver? Like, I don't, I don't think that he does. Uh, and so I have I've zero like really zero interest in him. In fact, if I were in a dynasty league and I thought I could get something for him, I would be trying to trade him right now. You know, I just like, don't think that he's a difference maker, um, long-term. And I don't think he offers enough in the short term to be someone I really want to mess
0: with. Okay. Um, let's then wait, you think I'm wrong? wait, what's that? I think I'm wrong. Do I think you're wrong? Um, because you I don't, you asked the question, uh, yeah, you, you have some sort of
1: long-term thoughts on, on gauge and uh, yeah, he hasn't like, he hasn't been bad this year. And if you go through the, the mental exercise of taking Julio Jones out of that offense and thinking of gauge as the number two option, then yeah, maybe he's a guy who has 800 or 900 yards for the season, uh, and maybe four touchdowns. And maybe in the aggregate, that means that he ends up having like a low-end wide receiver three, high-end wide receiver four season. Um, So, you know, that means he's someone who should be drafted. And, you know, occasionally he would give you, you know, wide receiver two, maybe low-end wide receiver one performances if he has a peak week, but that still doesn't feel like anything I want on my roster.
0: Okay. And and I actually had to ask this question because... One of the things I wanted to to discuss within it was for a while, the Falcons offense has been one of these that I think a lot of people have it in their mind that they want part of, particularly the passing game with Julio, then the emergence of Calvin Ridley. You know, before that, you had Julio Roddy White for a stretch. You get where I'm going with that in our mind, how much of an adjustment and and honestly, Matt Ryan at this point, probably not the Matt Ryan that we saw back when they made the Super Bowl run, um, you know, a couple of seasons going back, maybe five, six years now, he might not be that Matt Ryan anymore. I think there's a lot of people that think that. So a wide receiver, too, that's not Julio Jones and not Calvin Ridley in Atlanta. Does that really carry any excitement value for you? Um, because what I think of Russell Gage is, I think he's the type of guy that could be the second option on a team and is able to compile enough to be usable. And beyond that, I think that he's a player that you actually might have some utility. There might be utility for him being in your roster because he's the type of player, I think in Atlanta right now, where there's going to be enough opportunities opening up for him here and there to fill in a spot for you when you need him. Uh, Do I think he's going to be in a thousand yard wide receiver? No. Um, But I think that kind of paints some of where I was going, going with on this question.
1: Okay. Um, I don't think he's going to be useful for a couple of reasons. One, because without Julio Jones, um, Matt Ryan has looked really bad. Uh, and so if we kind of think of gauge in a, a vacuum without Julio Jones, I think it's pretty disgusting. And then two, like, when was the last time that uh, a guy who wasn't a thousand yard receiver actually made a difference? You know, like I just don't think of guys like that as, as guys I want to seek, you know, like maybe you find a a rookie wide receiver who has, you know, like 900 yards. But like, maybe he got a lot of that in the second half of the season and you were still targeting him because of his upside with Gage. I just
0: feel like there's no upside. Got it. So I think, yeah, and I don't know if I would really say there's a lot of upside. So I guess the ultimate thesis on your, what honestly feels like some disgust in me having even brought up Russell Gage in a long-term context is just the thought that uh, there's just no upside whatsoever. I am very quickly pulling up, though, gauges, split, uh, gauges. splits with and without Julio Jones. Um, the in-split is 27, the out-of-split is 5, and really it only goes from 7.23 up to 8.8. Um, what, though, if I... Um, bear with me for one second here. Um, and the targets, honestly, are pretty much flat as well. So I think that um, if I were to try to even use an argu- argument of him getting fill-in spots here and there it probably wouldn't actually hold. So I'm, I'm going to give you the W there. Um, let's talk about Darius Slayton, though. Got off to a pretty good start this year, has really slowed down. Obviously, there's going to be questions about the quarterback position in New York. Uh, I think a player that's probably disappointed people given the expectations they would have had for him coming into the season. Like I said, 28.2 points to start off the season against Pittsburgh. Kind of bounced back in week five against Dallas with 20.9, but uh, has only gone over 10 points two other times this year. Not a very compelling story. Are there any hope with in turning things around, Matt?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there is some hope because of how dynamic he was as a rookie, and he's flashed some of that this year, but um, I'm not particularly encouraged. Uh, it's just, it's a speculative investment. If you're going with Slayton, you know, um, since Sterling Shepard returned from injury in week seven, Slayton is just 17 receptions, 223 yards, no touchdowns. That's seven games. Yeah. I mean, that's horrible. What do targets in that seven game span? Like it's not that he's just the number two receiver. Um, at this point, he's like the number four option because he's behind Evan Ingram and Golden Tate has jumped back ahead of him. Now, who knows what's going to happen with Tate? You know, like Tate might be gone next year. Uh, Evan Ingram, who knows what's going to happen with him in the future. But, um, the fact that Slayton has played behind three other guys and it hasn't really even been close, like that is, that's troubling. I think.
0: Yeah, and then to kind of put things in another perspective, on his career, and obviously some of this is a rookie, so we kind of have to discount these numbers a little bit. 52% of his games, he's gone for under 10 points. 26% he's gone under or between 11 and 15. So he's had a couple of really like smash performances. Um, He's gone over 30 twice in his career, Um, but only over 20, Matt four times so i think it's easy to let these huge performances overweight our perceptions of him and yes he was solid as a rookie but it wasn't anything super transcendent so though there are reasons to think that there might be more upside there i'm actually more inclined to say when you look at his whole situation the odds of him realizing it aren't super high
1: yeah i i think that's
0: accurate it's just that if he realizes his upside like let's
1: Compared to Russell Gage. If he realizes his upside, that upside is significantly higher than Russell Gage's upside. And like to kind of think of, I don't know, like the Talebian, uh, like black swan type of mentality. Like, I think it's actually pretty hard for us to put an accurate number on what the odds are of Gage hitting his upside versus Slayton hitting his upside. I do feel pretty confident in saying that if Slayton hits his upside, like it is much higher than what we get out of Gage because we've already seen that in his peak
0: performances through the past two years. Right. And then on top of that, even if we're just thinking about them approximating and not realizing their upside, it's very likely that Slayton would have to get much closer to reaching his upside to like overtake Slade and maybe only getting like half of the way to his or you know it's hard to put numbers on it but I think you get the idea all right James Conner I know you were excited about him coming into the season I think he did start off pretty well things have kind of slowed down for him there have been some health issues and things are probably not going to close out super positive for James Conner Let's talk about where his long-term value is in Dynasty, because I think one has to imagine that entering 2021, it is not going to be nearly where it was as we entered 2020.
1: Yeah, uh, I don't think he's going to be on the Steelers. Um, And so he's going to be a free agent. A lot of it is just going to be determined on where he signs and what the competition looks like for him. He will still be, you know, quote unquote, only 26, but like, let's be honest, like 26 year old running backs, like that's already at the cusp of guys. Like we're not super interested in, like we want guys in that 21 to 25 window. Uh, And so, you know, we have a guy with a new team, presumably who has some health issues, who's already 26, um, and who has, you know, kind of been lumbering for the past couple of years, probably not all that interested in him, which, uh, is unfortunate to say, because I, I do like James Conner as a, you know, as a person, uh, and as a player, but, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's certainly time to divest.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent and not playing in Pittsburgh, I mean, that really, I think, is is worrisome for me. I know that if you look at PFF run block grades, Pittsburgh has not been really strong this season. Um, I get that. But we do know that a lot of what we saw Connor able to achieve, a lot of the positive NFL performances have come in situations where one could very easily argue a lot of other backs would have come in and done pretty well in those roles Uh, to kind of get a price check. Oh, go ahead. This isn't the
1: best um, comparison, but it, it makes me think a little bit of Beanie Wells, um, <laughs> way back in the day. Ohio State I, Beanie know, like, Wells, right? Was it Ohio State? Yeah, you know, Ohio State, and then played four years with the Cardinals. Yep, and uh, you know, like as a rookie, had you know a decent enough year, uh, almost a thousand yards, uh, seven touchdowns, and then in his third year had uh around eleven hundred yards and 10 touchdowns. So like not bad. Like someone you would look at, and, and he did that in 14 games. So someone you would look at and think like, okay, like he will probably be able to stick around in the NFL, even if it's just as like a big bodied, you know, kind of between the tackles change of pace or, you know, like committee back. But after his fourth year, he was just totally out of the league. Uh I mean, we might see a situation like that Uh, With James Conner, like he's probably going to sign on with another team next year, but it is totally possible given all of the running back talent in the league right now. And then some of the running backs who will be coming into the league next year that a team just looks at him and is like, you know what, Um, let's just not invest in him and pay some young rookie who's kind of similar, uh, almost no money. Like I, you, you could see how that happens. Yep. So I don't know. I'm pretty pessimistic about Connor.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate too to think about, but I mean, if I'm an NFL team, I, I don't know how interested I really am in adding James Connor. And, you know, some of that's my bias and I'm probably not that interested in any of the running backs that I, I think could demand some type of salary, but let's kind of do an exercise here, Matt. Um, and, and think about in dynasty, who would you rather have on your team right now? James Connor or either of the running backs on the Bills. Because I think I'm inclined, inclined to say I would rather have Singletary or Moss than Connor at this point. Yeah,
1: and in Dynasty, yep. uh yeah. Yeah. I mean in Dynasty, I would almost always rather have the younger guy. Like unless we're talking about uh someone who's like a transcendent talent. Transcendent is not even the right word, but no, like a, no. a real real talent. Yep. You know? Um But, uh, for the most part, I would just rather have the younger guy because running back scoring is so random. Like running back usage is pretty random too. I would just rather have my shot on the younger guy and, you know, hope that he gives me some production and then I can trade him and turn him over into another asset who's younger.
0: Yeah. So I guess to close things out here, if we look at James Conner and consider the rest of the year because if you're somebody that has connor right and if you're in the playoffs right do you even have to hold him for your playoff run or do you try to make a last ditch effort to unload him now i mean it's probably going to be when tough you, because you're coming off a really bad game
1: unload him what do you like you can't trade him
0: why not well i mean most leagues are past the trade deadline Okay, but indulge me here, right? Like, let's say you're in a league where it's not past the trade deadline. Are you saying that you think it's such a ridiculous scenario you don't even want to explore it?
1: Yes, that, that's what I'm saying. But also for week 15, he's going against Cincinnati. Okay. You know, like, you probably play him this week. A Week 16, going against the Colts, uh, that's obviously a tough matchup, but, I mean, like, hold that for later. Like, you are trying to get to the championship game he has a great matchup and he's probably someone who's going to have
0: at least 10 touches in week 15. Uh, if you have him, you're starting him. Okay, good. All right. I'm, I'm pleased with, with what we got out of you there. Let's close things down, Matt, by you giving us a preview of some of the uh, more interesting wide receiver cornerback matchups that we have for week 15.
1: There aren't any. That It's, it's a really weird week. Where, uh, you know, some of the, so look, look at uh, like Miami, you know, in an ordinary week, we'd have Devonte Parker going against Stefan Gilmore. Great matchup that we've seen out of them in the past couple of years, but Parker is injured. Like we have a few situations like that. Uh, and then some of the other marquee cornerbacks aren't going against uh, good wide receiver units this week. So there are no really like stand out, Uh, type of matchups. The one that does stand out is Calvin Ridley, assuming Julio is out Calvin Ridley going against Carlton Davis. uh, So that will be a good matchup. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, uh, who's been the number one receiver for, uh, for the Raiders ever since he really became a contributor in week three, he's going against Casey Hayward jr. That will be a pretty good matchup. One to keep an eye on is Allen Robinson going against Cameron Dantzler. Now, Robinson has been great this year. Dansler was really bad, like trash at the beginning of the season. Uh, But, you know, he's a third-round rookie. You would expect him to struggle early in the year. He uh, suffered an injury and then came back four weeks ago. And since then, uh, the Vikings have used him in shadow coverage, and he's gone primarily against Amari Cooper, uh split time going against Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore, uh shadowed DJ Chark and then was on Mike Evans last week. And he's done an amazing job against that wide receiver uh lineup uh over the past month. And so I'm starting to wonder like, is is Dantzler like is he for real? Um, and so Uh, it's, I'd say still a tough matchup, obviously for him going against Robinson, Robinson will probably still dominate him, but I think it could be a great litmus test of, of where Dantzler actually is, because if he does, uh, against Robinson, what he's been able to do against other wide receivers for the past month, I think that will really mean something. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins going against Darius Slay, uh, Slay, I think it's just going to get totally, totally dominated. He's been he's been killed by Metcalf and Devontae Adams uh, and uh, one other Michael Thomas last week uh, over the past three weeks. Those three guys have just destroyed him. And now he's going against DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, Tough look for him. Uh, A couple of matchups. Sorry, I I know I said like no great matchups and then I'm just naming off a whole bunch of matchups. T.Y. Hilton going against the Texans. Uh, He always dominates them. Uh, and then now they're without a uh, number one cornerback Bradley Roby uh, without uh, one of their other perimeter cornerbacks in Philip Gaines. So they are really, really thin at the cornerback position. Um, AJ Brown also has a great matchup
0: going against the lions. Very cool. Um, I'm going to ask you one final question here, since you've been covering these wide receiver cornerback matchups, um, so extensively now for, for a while, do you have a favorite cornerback in the NFL? Doesn't need to be anything related to fantasy. Yeah, um
1: Bradavis White, you know, for the Bills. Um before last season, I thought he was pretty underappreciated. He had a really great rookie year. It just so happened that it was the same year that Marshawn Lattimore was a rookie. And so Lattimore got all of the credit, even though I think White was actually maybe the better cornerback. And, you know, White has continued to be a really good cornerback for the Bills. And last year, I think he finally got, you know, the recognition he deserved by being an all pro. Um, So he's, he's one of my favorites. Uh, I just, I like his style. He's pretty physical. Uh, He has been a little inconsistent this year, but that's just something that happens when a guy is going against opposing number one receivers each week. Uh, And then Marlon Humphrey for, um, for the Ravens. What I liked about him, uh, especially starting last year, he started on the outside um, and then Jimmy Smith got hurt. The team hadn't traded for Marcus Peters yet. And so for the first half of the year, they were using him uh, in shadow coverage, uh, which you know, for most of the time, you don't see the Ravens do. Um, but, you know, just because of the state of their cornerback group, they were using him in shadow coverage and he did a great job. And then Jimmy Smith returned, the team traded for Marcus Peters, and both of those guys are perimeter cornerbacks. And so that meant that the team just on the fly put Marlon Humphrey in the slot. And he just, you know, out of nowhere started dominating there, which, you know, like a guy being a perimeter corner versus a slot corner, you know, I mean, I know nothing about football, but I've been told like it's (laughs) it's different to to play those two positions. Like In theory, it's the same position, but it really is pretty different in terms of how you have to approach uh, the guy you're covering. Uh, And so for him to go from perimeter corner, who's shadowing guys to being the slot corner, who is just totally shutting down guys in the middle of the field, and then continuing to do that this year. And then when Jimmy Smith gets injured, kicking back out to the outside uh, and and also getting uh, an all pro designation last year,
0: uh, Humphrey is uh, easily one of my favorite cornerbacks. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, we don't actually talk about the defensive side of the ball that much naturally because our focus normally is on fantasy, but I think that once the season comes to a close, maybe we will take a couple of episodes, kind of catch listeners up on some of the big names on these defenses and just some pieces of information that, uh, you know, could be useful as we head into next year. So, That does it for this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveKabenFF and at MattFTheOracle. Thanks to Indeed, Pepsi, and BetOnline for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. that's Blue Wire, all one word. Bet online, your online sports book experts.